I'm doing a series, if you hadn't noticed, I'm on three talks, one last week, one this week, one next week. Last week we talked about the return of Jesus and the hope that that brings, but also the accountability that that is. And this week we're going to talk about, in the view of all that, how ought we to live? Who are we? and What ought we to do? And that's the next two weeks. So this week's subject is the royal priesthood. So the royal priests arise. Should get something coming up on there in a mo. Uh, but we are a royal priesthood. That is one of the that's one of the definitions of our identity as believers. There we go. That is the uh, uh, a picture of probably Aaron, the royal first royal priest in the Bible with all these attire. It's a bit blurry, but so next week we're all going to be dressed like that. <laughs> But that's the old covenant version. What the new covenant is, is that we're all, we all stand in that place of access, that place of identity, that place of carrying his presence, that place of walking into his presence, that place of authority. That is our identity as believers. And in the light of his return, we are to stand up and believe and behave and live because that's the truth of who we are. And uh, I'm hoping that this series will connect, because it's meant to connect to what Anne's doing every week, because we want to connect what we're saying about discipleship and mentoring to what we're talking about here. So to help you live lives that count for something and that means that you're building with, not with straw and hay, but you're building gold and silver in your life, like we talked about last week, so that at the end, at that point of accountability, you're coming to the Lord saying, I've used my talents, I'm not just here in my underpants. To quote last week, you'll have to listen to understand the underpants comment. As you can see here, he doesn't just have his underpants on. So, we're going to read... Uh, if you could flick it up, because I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. Not everybody will have that in front of them. Just going to read this passage about uh, where P- 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12, where he says that we are royal priests. You are God's chosen treasure. Priests who are kings. Literally a royal priesthood. Priests who are kings. Okay, This is, this is God speaking to you. All right, not the person next to you or some people who will be alive in the future or, or were alive in the past. This is God speaking to you about you. You are royal priests. You are priests and kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light and now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy, but <clears throat> because you hadn't received it yet, but now you are drenched with it. My divinely loved friends, since you are resident aliens and foreigners in this world, I appeal to you to divorce yourselves from the evil desires that wage war within you. Live honorable lives as you mix with unbelievers, even though they accuse you of being evildoers, for they will see your beautiful works and have a reason to glorify God in the day 
that he visits us. So remember, that's the return of Jesus. Through your life, they're going to experience something that gives them reason to glorify God when Jesus comes back. It's amazing, isn't it? Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, thank you for your, your presence with us. And, and I'm just asking you, Holy Spirit, we know you're here. We're asking you to be working in us this morning. Thank you for what you showed me about today. And I pray that you would work powerfully in each person's heart and mind through these words. In Jesus' name, amen. How are you doing? Okay, good. So we could talk a little bit about kind of a bigger picture of what God's doing and saying to the church, probably the Western church, at least the UK church in this context. And then we're going to look at the three things that characterize, or three things we can draw out of this passage that characterize us as royal priests. Uh, and then we're going to apply it and pray. And, and as I was driving through the tunnel today, uh, you know, the, the Clyde Tunnel, I just started to get this completely unexpectedly, this, this kind of vision superimposed. I was driving as well, so it was superimposed on my eyes. I, I've literally, God doing something in people's brains. I feel the Holy Spirit is going to work on the neuroplasticity of our brains and do some rewiring of your actual neural cortex this morning. Jesus can do that. So some of you remember the story Teresa and I told about the lady who felt cold down the whole side of her body for 70 years and we prayed for her and God restored all the sensation of heat and all the movement back after 70 years. That's, that's a neural thing and I felt him showing me that he was going to do that inside some people's heads this morning so that it will enable you. So, see what happens is truth, if you're wired a bit wonky or unhelpfully, truth can come in, it lands on your pathways and you file it in the wrong places all the time. He's going to change that for some of you today so that you can live in the truth and not have it hijacked by something else and we're going to come on to the something else at the end. So we're going to talk about how we are as priests, how we can live and how we can be responsible to carry his presence and display his glorious wonders, which it says here, how we can be responsible for our own spiritual health and the spiritual health of others, and finally, how we're responsible to shift the atmosphere in our own lives and the atmosphere around us as light in darkness. Okay, you ready? That's what we're going to do. Now we're going to do it. So, just a little bit of backdrop for help. We went through COVID, everybody remember that, lockdown, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, still, still kind of picking up the pieces in some way, society and the church, of what that did and what that meant. And uh, lots of conversation in leaders around what was God doing, what did God do, what was, what's he saying to the church on the back of all of that. And I think a key thing that's coming out of it is that he's raising up the profile of, I'm calling it the royal priesthood or the priesthood of all believers to complete the Reformation that started 500 years ago. So when the Reformation happened 500 years ago, Martin Luther hammered his theses to the door and we, we rediscovered that, uh, that, that salvation was by faith and it was a free gift and it was justification by faith. The other thing that came in at that time, 500 years ago, was the idea of the priesthood of all believers. It was a reaction to the Catholic Church at the time 
where the, the priest was the intermediary between you and God. So if I was the priest and God's over there, you had to get to him through me, whether it was confession or whether it was communion or the, the Eucharist, etc., etc. I was the guy who was authorized to, to administer God to you. You couldn't do it for yourself. I was the priest, okay? So in reaction to that, there was this justification by faith and the realization that this passage was true, that actually the new covenant was a priesthood of all believers. In fact, they left the royal out, but it's royal. There's royalty in the room, and it's all of it is you. The problem was that although they said that, they didn't do it. <laughs> so the Catholic priesthood system, which put priests between people and God and meant that only special people did certain things, was simply replaced by pastors and vicars and parsons and ministers. And these people gathered, and we all gathered, and we taught, and we worshipped as before. But there was an ongoing expectation that the leader, whatever name, pastor, vicar, minister you gave to him, the leader would do spiritual stuff for them, for the congregation, in some way. And they had some, like, special extra spiritual stars or, or spurs or stripes that meant they were just a bit above everybody else, okay? And so, in, depending on the denomination that you're in, then, like, things would happen, like the, the minister would be the only one that could do the breaking of bread, or the elder was the only one who was expected to baptize people, and that, that was like, well, they had authority to do that. And you lesser mortals, maybe not so much. I don't know if you've noticed, but mostly I refuse to baptize people in Hope Church. But then one of the reasons for that is that. And actually, when I was in India last year with John Clancy, you know, because you, you're very, you're very honoured and celebrated as the, you know, the visiting minister, and amazing things are happening. And they, oh, we're going to baptize some people. And they asked me, would you baptize these new converts in, in the river or in this this uh, body of water? And I said, no, for this reason. And afterwards, the wisdom of God, I realized the deep wisdom of God, because John Clancy said yes, he got in the water and realized that as he stood in the water, raw sewage was coming up from beneath his feet. So thank you, Jesus, for wisdom. <laughs> and people got, people got baptized into that, so that is really is going into death and coming up to life, isn't it? So it feels like that principle, God is saying, I'm calling time on anything that perpetuates a priesthood mentality in my church because I want them all to stand in their royal priesthood. It's not that we don't have leadership, but we don't see leadership as any way sandwiched between us and heaven or us and the king uh, in, in any shape or form. Uh, we honor leadership, we follow leadership, we bless leadership, but we don't elevate it and reduce ourselves. And you can see it happening out of COVID particularly. There's been a massive shaking of platform-led, Sunday-only Sunday only Christianity as it affects both the leaders and the community. Things that have been built around that or where people have treated it as Sunday-only or where the leaders have seen it as a platform-led thing, have enjoyed and endured a real shaking. 
The second thing is that therefore God is calling his people to pick up their true identity as royal priests because what happens if you think there's a priesthood, then you put the responsibility for stuff in your life on them and God's looking at you saying, well, no, I've called you as a priest to do this stuff. And there's a, there's a kind of a dodge that can happen and, a, and, a, and an expectation placed on other people that is not necessarily realistic or a thing that God wants. So there's a calling of you and me into this true identity as God's priests, as royal priests, to actually believe it and actually behave like it and take that responsibility. And, and linked to this third is the challenging of the institutionalization of the church by leaders and believers alike. And I'm going to run out of time if I'm not careful, so I'm just going to try and explain what I mean because this is an important point. If you leaders can get in the place where they're like their personal fiefdom, you know, they're like they're like their hierarchy and that they institutionalize out of that. But people can institutionalize also, so it's this kind of both groups can be guilty of this, in that they start to they start to treat the church as an institution like they would treat the NHS or anything else that delivers services to them for their benefit and so they don't relate to it relationally they relate to it as consumers and then they criticize the thing that is the institution that is meant to be serving them rather than see themselves as actually what the body of Christ is we're members of one another we're not an institution and, and we've exp I've experienced that personally it's like there's people that I thought I had relationship with left and never said a thing. I'm like, you've just institutionalized me and that's never what we've been trying to do. do you, there's, a, there's a personal relationship involved here, not just an institution that maybe did or didn't meet your expectation. Is, it, is this, I'm just trying to give something, maybe painful, but I'm just going to give something real as an illustration. Um, there's a lack of understanding that our actions and attitudes help or hurt the environment, the church that we are connected to. We are a living, breathing body. It's an organism with connections, not an institution that we attend that does stuff for us. Okay? Oh dear. Help me, Jesus. So, from this passage, things, things that we do on the back of that. Number one is that we carry his presence. We all do it. Can we have that little picture up? Can you get the... It's a bit cute. There you go. That's what the priest did. That's the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God dwelled on the Ark and the priest carried it. That's what you're doing every day. They carried it on their shoulders. We are carriers of the presence to proclaim and display his wonders to the world around us. And that's our mission. We talk about it. We're here to carry God's presence to transform Glasgow, Scotland and beyond. That's who we are and that's what we're here to do. We're transformational because of his presence. So number two is we take responsibility for our own spiritual health. Okay, We are disciples who are not thinking it's somebody else's job to mature me. We understood that we are priests, that we have responsibility not just for our own spiritual health but also for the health of others I'd like you to say after me we are all priests 
We are all pastors. Do that again. We are all priests. We are all pastors. John Clancy kind of opened this up to us now a few weeks ago. That shift is very important that we all stand in that place of authority and maturity and take responsibility for the environment around us as well as our own. And the last thing, and this is one I want to spend the most time on, is that we, as priests, shift the atmosphere in our own lives and the atmosphere around us. So what do you mean? It talks about divorcing yourself from evil desires. It talks about us being light and darkness. Um, when you get up in the morning, there's something going on. In, if you're alive, there's something going on in your brain. Yeah? Everybody in this room, you know, you get to brush your teeth, have a shave, have a wash, whatever it is you do, you look in the mirror, there's things going on in your brain, isn't there? And there's feelings happening inside of you, and are there not? Some are mostly joyous. Oh, every morning I just immediately think, what a wonderful day and how joyous it is. That's a, just a straight lie. It's not even pre or post <laughs> I'm waking up with an act. I've got thoughts and feelings. I have an atmosphere. And that atmosphere is going to go with me into my day. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to impart my atmosphere. Yeah? And again, quick, short, big picture. Just some, We've got some very, very, uh, very significant prophetic person alongside us in Kingdom Legacy. And just had a bit of a chat with them. And they... <coughs> were confirming something I was feeling that in this sort of season of the last four or five years, one of the things that we've been contending with in the wider church is the Jezebelic. Now, the Bible refers in the Old Covenant, which I'll refer to around the story of Elijah, and then also in the New Testament, this thing Jezebel. And it's a way of, it's both a person in the Old Testament and in the New, it's a way of codifying certain activities and features of, of a certain way that the devil works to destroy the anointed activity of God's people and God's leaders, okay? So it's, it's a code word in the New Testament for something that is personified in the Old and it's useful to have a way of describing what the devil's trying to do so that we make sure we don't fall for it. Paul says, I'm not unaware of the enemy's schemes, all right? So I'm not personifying this as just for women or just for men. This is a spirit reality that's been coming against his church because the enemy hates you, okay? He doesn't dislike you. He hates you. The enemy hates God and he hates the Holy Spirit and he hates anointed people and anointed churches and anointed leaders, and his goal isn't just to disable them or discourage them, it is to destroy them, and in the process, destroy you. He does not care, he's not benevolent. We have a good father who is, okay? I'm just saying that's what Jesus said about the devil, he's here to steal and kill 
and destroy, and we need to take that very seriously. Okay? So the Jezebel is, is characterized by deceitfulness, threats, sensuality, and manipulation, and it tries to destroy anointed people through accusation and threats. And this thing came against Elijah, which I'm going to paraphrase for you in 1 Kings 19. There's a number of things we could talk about this morning, but in the last five minutes, I want to help you stand up and shift your atmosphere. Because you are a royal priest and you have authority to get any of this stuff out of your head. Because you will function and I will function better and we will function better if we do. Okay? The main thing that the Jezebel spirit threat does if received, is distort your view of reality. It's distort your view of reality. Our enemy wants to win the fight for our view of reality in our heads. What do I mean by this? Well, the, what happened with Elijah illustrates it perfectly. Elijah had challenged 450 prophets of Baal on a mountainside to a competition to see if they could get fire to fall on the sacrifice. Because Israel had been walking away from God, there'd been a drought, and finally there's a showdown on this mountain. They cut themselves and flail, and nothing happens. He builds an altar to the Lord of stones, puts the sacrifice, the bull on it, pours water all over it, calls on the Lord, and fire falls from heaven and burns everything, including the stones, all the people shout out, the Lord is God, so there's revival, and they're killed by the sword, the 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah's victorious, he says, he prays, and then the rain starts to come after three years of zero rain, and then he runs faster than a chariot to, to, uh, to the next place he's got to go to. Wow, what a victory, what a thrill, what a rush. This guy is cooking with Holy Spirit gas, is he not? inside 24 hours a message comes to him from Jezebel that basically says I'm going to make your life like those prophets that you killed it gets in his head and within less than 24 hours this is what Elijah is saying take my life Lord I've had enough he's depressed and suicidal why? because he listened to the voice and he forgot what God had done literally 24 hours before. That's what this spirit will do. It will mess with what's going on in your head and how you feel. Now, some people like, I argue, argue about, oh, feelings are important. Yes, they are important, but feelings tell you not the truth. They tell you what you believe about what's happening. So they're telling you something important, but they're telling you what you actually currently believe. And that's what the enemy's after is your belief system in your head. So something drastic happened. Elijah gets under this, and within a few days, this is the conversation he's having. His view of reality is completely shifted. So he's saying, take my life, Lord, I've had enough. So he's deeply depressed and discouraged. He says that the Israelites have rejected your covenant, and actually they just all turned to the Lord. He's saying that they've torn down your altars. He's just built one and seen fire fall on it. And he's saying that they've put your prophets to death with a sword. But he just put 
450 prophets to death with the sword. It's like a complete mirror image inversion of what he'd done is now what he's believing about reality. Hello? That's what the spirit realm can do. Well, can that really happen? Jesus taught in the parable of the sower that the it literally says that the enemy can swoop down and take the seed of the word of God out of your mind. And it talks about the birds of the air and the seed falling on the path. The, the, the birds come in and they're literally taking the seeds out of your mind. So there's God speaking to you and if we're not responding in the right way, the devil can steal it out of your brain. We have to stand in who we are as royal priests kick that stuff out and resist that and not go with it and not believe everything we feel or necessarily everything we think is the true north of reality which is why we need scripture and is why we need one another and why we need church because we can quickly slip into believing things are true that really are not hello just because we feel it or someone else said it or I thought it for a long time doesn't equal this is the true measure of what is real. And once this thing gets lodged in your head, this demonic spirit filters life through a filter that is actually destructive to the anointing of God, not constructive and not building. Okay, I need to land. Can I have the next slide up? So this morning... I want us to, to land this by kicking anything of that out of our heads today. All right? Are we, you with me? I'm not going to do it for you. We're going to do it together as royal priests. So, oh, I've got too much to say. Let's, let's get to, cut to the chase. The fear of destruction by Jezebel completely ruined Elijah's mental health. Made him want to quit and made him want to die. If you felt like quitting church, felt like quitting the purpose of God for your life, felt like you know, flushing your life down the toilet in any form or whatsoever, I can tell you without a doubt that source was not from you and it wasn't from heaven, it's from the enemy. And we want to remove that out of your brain today. Amen? So feel like quitting, feel like dying. The second thing is, you can live in a, a church that's seeing miracles, which we are, wake up on Monday morning and think the world has turned to crap. Think the church has turned to crap and the leaders have turned to crap and accuse them of turning to crap. If that's happening in your head, that didn't come from heaven, it didn't come from you. Guess where it came from? Come on, let's name it. It came from this Jezebel spirit. So if you're suffering with that difficulty of trusting the environment of the church and its leadership, it's time to stand up and get that junk out of your head because he wants to he wants heaven's perspective in our brain that then affects our feelings, our actions and our beliefs. Amen. <laughs> All right, so here's what we're going to do. I've discovered that he wants to make us forget all our breakthroughs and only remember the crap. 
Today that's going to change. It's going to help us remember all the incredible breakthroughs in your life, in our community life, etc., etc., and get the balance shifted the other way around. Okay, so <clears throat> as priests, we're going to take responsibility for the atmosphere in our community and the atmosphere in our brains because we have the power in the name of Jesus. Amen? So we want to reject negativity about our future, reject negativity about anointed leaders, and reject cynicism about signs and wonders. And we want to remember the best of the recent and distant past, believe the best of people, especially anointed ones, which we all are, and expect the best for the future because God is a good father for whom nothing is impossible. So what I'd like to invite you to do is, is stand up and we're going to lay hands on our own heads. If You don't have to do any of this, but that's what I invite you to do. So to quote Taylor Swift, let's shake it off. <laughs> so I've given you quite a list of things that could be affecting how you feel and think. If, if any of it applies to you, what I suggest we do is we all do this whether it applies or not because then it makes you know, the few people that it might apply to feel more comfortable and not standing out. So if, you, if we are all happy to put our hand on our head, then everybody is safe-ish. <laughs> Holy Spirit, you showed me you were going to shift some things this morning in our heads. Negativity, discouragement, even, even the desire for to quit or even death. Holy Spirit, you can do that. You can replace these uh, demonic thoughts, these evil thoughts, these evil little seeds that keep getting dropped in with your light and your life. So, I'm just going to give you something to command over your brain, if that's all right, just to help you. Say, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over my mind. And I expel any influence of the Jezebelic spirit. From my mind right now in Jesus name negativity you have to go hopelessness you have to go cynicism about signs and wonders you have to go struggling to remember the best you have to go struggling to believe the best you have to go Holy Spirit, I invite you to rewire my brain. Give me fresh memories of the breakthroughs you've given me. 
Reignite hope in my thinking and my feelings. Clear my vision. Put fire in my heart. Help me celebrate the anointing in others' lives. And speak well of the community in which I belong. And be a changer of its atmosphere. For the glory of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just take a moment. Don't, don't rush. Just take a moment. Just let the Holy Spirit do, do stuff in your feelings and in your thinking. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Yeah, just tell him that you welcome his activity. Father God, I believe we're going to rise up increasingly as priests, which is men and women, hence the pictures. The new covenant is men and women are equally authorized, equally called, equally anointed, have equal authority and value to carry his presence, to transform the world around us, to take authority and responsibility for our spiritual walk and the walk of others around us and to control the spiritual atmosphere that we have so that we change the atmosphere around us. Amen.